The word that came to me um, earlier today that I want to kind of talk about a little bit is the word appropriate. Could anyone give me your definition of the word appropriate, to appropriate? Mm. No, 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 no. Those from Chadwell Heath don't know. Okay, we've got one hand at the back. James, come on, get your microphone. You've got to go run around. <laughs> right, there you go. Uh, there you go, there's a hand at the back. Okay. To appropriate, let's see. To take something for yourself, make it your take own. Take something for yourself, good, good. There you go, let's try Chris. So we've got a different idea. This is where we find out someone's got a completely different understanding. Seize or lay hold of. Seize or lay hold of, I like that. Good. There, there's Andy. Andy seems to be looking something up, so that might be cheating. <laughs> yeah, go use the Bible, right? Good, good. Uh, to take something and make it your own. Make it your own, good. Have we got anyone here, anyone here from Australia? I mean, I know Judy's here, but anyone else from Australia? I know she's, I know she's from New Zealand, but you should watch what her head's doing at the moment. <laughs> right. We have, got, we have got Americans here today. Right, this is, this is what I think of when I think of appropriate. You know like you're a tourist and you go somewhere, you go and travel, think it's nice here. Appropriate's where you go and say, I'm sticking my flag in and this is mine, yes? And that's what I think of when I go to America. I think it's time for it to come back. <laughs> we should have it again. There's only a couple of them here, so it's all right. I think I'm all right. Right. I could mention Kenya as well, but there you go. The appropriate is taking it and making it mine. And I think so much we can understand something, but we want to take it and make it ours. Yeah? Isn't it lovely, that gold? No, I'm having that. Yeah? That kind of thing, to appropriate. So I want us to appropriate things today. Okay, good, good. Let's just have, have that. Every now and again, I just think we should play this. Wow. <laughs> Good, good, good. Right. Now, um, because my father was so polite in saying that I was speaking today, I think we'll kick off with a story about him that I've not told him about. Right. Um, now, my parents, bless them, aren't they lovely? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Wow. Um, they obviously had their own parents, generally. They did not leap out of a rock or something, that kind of thing. And with the very nature of genetics means that we can be like the people that birthed us. Yes? I'm thinking about this because my mother-in-law's arriving soon. It's a bit like a mother-in-law story, so she arrived later on. Nobody tell her what I've said. So my parents, my parents have, um, so their parents had particular traits, you know. Uh, easygoing, always happy, those kind of things. And they made this bargain that my mother would not become like her mother and my father would not become like his father in particular areas. I mean, there's great things about them, but in particular areas. So they had this, this deal, and we may have a little phrase that we might use to my dad occasionally when he shows some traits like his father. We occasionally call him Freddy. Um, 
But they had this thing going on. I won't tell you what, uh, what my nan was like and if my mother's like it, because it's a bit raw. Um, <laughs> who here ever met Elsie or Lynn Halls? Right, yeah, yeah, you're shaking a bit, aren't you? Um, <laughs> right, okay. So, they had this bargain that they were not going to make, you know, not be like, uh, and they would watch each other on that. And they would, they would say, right, don't, you're getting like your dad or you're getting like your mum. And they'd do this, this thing. And they'd watch out for it. They became like watchmen on that. They described something or gave an example of something they did not want to become. And they asked the other person... I'm sure it was done in a delicate and calm way <laughs> to watch out. I'm sure, you're just like your dad. You're just like your mum. But they asked that other person to be a watchman. They saw something and they brought themselves into accountability by, by pulling uh, their partner into it. And then we have, as children, obviously, Nathan, Jamie and I, we helped in that way. Nathan's a bit like my nan, actually. <laughs> the truth be known. Don't tell him that. But he's a bit like a... Right. <laughs> so, but the point is, they saw it, they described it, and they watched for it. That was in a kind of negative sense. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about us as a group of people. And I was thinking, if we're not, if we're not careful, as we age, our men can become grumpy, and our women can become stroppy. I thought that for a while. I thought, is that sexist? I thought, well, it is, but it's kind of knocking at everyone. So it's kind of equal opportunity sexism in that sense. Our men could be grumpy and our women could be stroppy. And I think we have a duty to try and pull each other up on those things. We have to see it and hold each other to account. I was reading something in, um, I was reading Song of Songs. I've been trying to get into that. It's not... I actually preferred Leviticus. Um, <laughs> actually, I really did like Leviticus, and you're lucky you're not getting more of it here. But, but it kept on talking about these watchmen, and she said, I'm out looking for my lover in the night, and then I come across a watchman, and they abuse me, and that kind of thing. And, and sometimes there can be abusive watchmen that kind of, they're out, and they're, they're, they're catching your own, they're giving you a hard time, um, and uh, it's kind of like stop and search gone mad, or something like that. But actually, the watchmen we're talking about is watchmen are, who are spurring us onto the better self of what God is calling us to. The watchmen are appropriating or helping us appropriate that which God's got for us. Yeah? So we don't want to be grumpy men and we don't want to be stroppy women in that sense. Right, okay. Whenever I pause, I think we should do this. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. Right. So it's when revelation comes, wow. That's, that's what we want to look at a little bit today, Revelation. Okay. And we're going to get there in stages. Right. Let me read you something. This comes from a book by a chap called John Mark Comer. He says, As the saying goes, God created man in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned the favour. That wasn't a Bible bit. That was a bit... You get that? God created man in his own image, a man, being a gentleman, returned the favour. There is a human bent in all of us to make God in our own image. A New Testament professor in Chicago for years taught a class on Jesus, and he would start every semester with two surveys. 
The first was a set of questions about the student, what they like, dislike, believe, and so on. The second was the same set of questions, but this time about Jesus. He found that 90% of the time, the answers were exactly the same. That's telling, isn't it? Here's how you know if you've created God in your own image. He agrees with you on everything. Hates all the people you hate. He voted for the person you voted for. If you're a Republican, so is he. If you're a Democrat, she is too. That's a little bit of a point there, I think. <laughs> if you're passionate about this, then God is passionate about that. If you're open and elastic about sexuality, so is he. And above all, he's tame. You never get mad at him or blown away by him or scared of him because he's controllable. And of course, he's a figment of your imagination. Often, when we believe about, often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is like a mirror to the soul. It shows us what's deep inside. Maybe the truth is that we want a God who is controllable because we want to be God. We want to be the authority on who God is or isn't and what's right or wrong. But we want the mask of religion or spirituality to cover up the I want to be God reality. The most ancient primal temptation going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden is to decide for ourselves what God is like and whether we should live into his vision of human flourishing or come up with our own. All we, so, sorry, also we will be like God, knowing good and evil. Remember, that was the promise that the serpent gave. This is why theology is so important. The word theology comes from two Greek words, theo, meaning God, and logos, meaning word. Simply put, theology is a word about God. It's what comes to mind when we think about God. It's not like some of us are into theology and others aren't. We all have a theology. We all have thoughts and opinions and convictions about God. Good, bad, right, wrong, brilliant, dangerous, we all theologise. But the problem is that much of what we think about God is simply wrong. I know it's blunt, but I don't really know how else to say it. Much of what we read in the news or see on TV or pick up on the street about God and the way he works is wrong. Maybe not all wrong, but wrong enough to mess up how we live. I think it's a very powerful thing about how we seek to make God in our own image. I won't ask you how you voted in the European elections, but I'm pretty sure you think that God told you to vote that way, or you can make an argument that way. And I'm not going to say, I mean, phew, what a choice we had. Rock and hard place. Um, and we do really well, not in this place, forcing out a particular political view and we don't, you know, we don't wrap up our stuff. We try not to wrap up our stuff as God's stuff. We recognise what is what. But there are some things that are very clear. But in this day and age, it's really easy to try to make God in our image. And there's a real limitation of that. A little look at John 6. So I've been going through John as well. I've been trying to read something in the New Testament and something in the Old Testament. I've had more fun in John than I did in Song of Songs. And it's an interesting section, John 6. So, it's interesting, one of the verses, if I can find it, right early on it says, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went 
because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So you've got a big group of people following Jesus at every stage. And they come to a point where it's time to eat. There's 5,000 of them there. Jesus says, what are we going to do about that? He asks his disciples questions. It's quite interesting. Peter, I was watching Peter carefully. Peter says, well, there's these loaves and fishes. So you think, ah, Peter's looking for a solution. Then he says, oh, but I don't know how that's going to help. It's interesting, he offered half an answer. Peter's standing on the, well, sitting on the fence in that sense. He said, well, there's these loaves of fishes, but that ain't going to go very far. Interesting as we see Peter and what he does. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and there's all these interesting things that happens. And the numbers, I think, is really important. So what we know is that it was 5,000 men, meaning we're not counting the women and children as well. So we're talking a huge number of people. They are much bigger than 5,000. Okay? Secondly, what happens afterwards? What happens at the end? Can anyone remember the next key number? 12. Good. Right. 12 baskets. Why do you reckon 12? 12 disciples. Yes. But 12's got another meaning, hasn't it? 12 tribes. Good. He's on Dulos Richard. Dulos student. Doing well. Dad's here as well. Behave. Right. Okay. 12 tribes. So any, one idea, any ideas why, why is it significant? It's 12 tribes. What do you think is happening here? Why is that number important? There was a lot over. Yes. Yes. Although you don't know the size of the baskets. It could be like an offering pot, but you know. <laughs> right. Why 12 baskets? If it's 12 tribes, what is the thing? Look at that. I've got them, I've already had them turn some of the lights out so we've got the video. So if you get, look a bit sleepy, if the person's a bit sleepy next to you. Complete number, yeah, yeah. It's, remember, like all singletons, it's the answer I've got in my head that I'm going for. Your answer may be correct, but it's not the one I'm looking for. This is really exciting. Like, it's an experience I never had at school. I'm about to tell you something that no one else knows. <sighs> right, I believe part of the concept about Food coming and being provided miraculously, and it relating to the 12 tribes, is supposed to make the people think, oh yeah, God provided manna to us in the wilderness. They're actually near the wilderness where they were at the moment. So it's supposed to be triggering in their heads, ha, ah, we're coming in touch with the miraculous God. It's supposed to, all of them would have known their Bible. They would have all known their Bible, all known the stories. That was part of the thing of the Jewish culture. So it should have been triggering back. They should be thinking, oh yeah, God provides. And it's that whole thing about the miraculous provision of God. Jesus is, is showing them, or endeavouring to show them, who he is, who he's linked to. Okay? So that's all happened. Let's zip ahead. Then they kind of, there's a thing of, there's various boat stealing things, and they all get together and uh, they follow Jesus. Uh, he crosses a river, uh, the, uh, the sea of Galilee, I think it is. And then verse 26, he says, Jesus, um, uh, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. It's really interesting, this whole thing in John, even leading up to John 6, I've never seen it so much as how much argument Jesus is having. There's loads of argument about what he can and can't do on the Sabbath. It's like he's in a constant thing. There's so many times he has to slip out before they stone him. They want to stone him or make him king. It's kind of back and forth, back and forth. It's a real tussle. 
all the time. And people are always trying to put me in a box or define what you're supposed to be doing. And they're missing things all the time. Um, so it says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's miracles too. What should we do? Occasionally, when I'm sharing an instruction to maybe someone in my family, maybe someone of you know, maturing but not yet mature years, um, occasionally, as I'm given the instruction, they hear me stop talking and then they ask something else. So it's something like this. I'm saying, could you put that dish in the dishwasher? Pause. Um, and then the question comes back, what do you think about the Roman Empire in these particular times? And at that point, I choose to think that maybe the former instruction has not rested upon the mind of the person that I gave it to. It was Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly the next day when I find said dish not in dishwasher, I realise that happened. I think that's what they've done here. He's saying, look at this great food of life and stuff I can give you. They can say, oh, we'd like miracles, if you don't mind. We'll have some miracles. How do we do it? So, so they're kind of, they're not getting it. Um, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one who sent you. And I think in other translations it says, it's the only miracle I want from you. Believing. So there's a sense that actually that's the only one. He doesn't want you to go, go off and perform miracles. He wants you to believe. And that's actually a fairly tough thing as we go on to here. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Uh, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. You see, they've got it by then. The scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. See, they're not getting it. They're getting focused on the person, the messenger, not he who sends a message. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they say, give us bread every day. A little bit focused on bread, right? Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. So you've got this whole interaction. Jesus is bringing this fairly key thing about I'm the son of God, you need to follow me, know what's going on. They're saying, feed me, feed me, give me bread, give me signs, give me these temporary things. Let me be distracted by these temporary things. I'm not really thinking about eternal life. I just want these temporary things. I'm not seeing it. And Jesus is saying, you really don't see it. I'm telling you, I'm right here in front of you, but you don't see it. Here I am. You don't see it at all. And you've got this constant thing, this constant not seeing things. Yeah? All the time. They're preoccupied with their bellies. They're preoccupied with their flesh. They want kind of short-term, you know... They're following because he's the great, best show in town. They're not following him in a true sense of he's the Lord. They're following for entertainment. And they're wanting that short-term entertainment. I remember when uh, I was doing uh, youth work back uh, a number of years ago. 
and I realized there was a real difference between um, a sense of abundance and fullness and fun. I remember talking to one of the young people who said, you're just after fun. You're after a fun drug. It's temporal, it's a distraction, and it's gone. It's not proper enjoyment or fullness of what God's got for us. Yeah? It's not, it's going to pass and be gone. So that's the situation we see in John 6. So we want us to bear that in mind. And, but let's see, let's see if we can do a film clip now. Let's do the, we're going to do one from, if you queue it up and then. Right, okay. Now, I'm sure, you know, everyone here is a fan of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Uh, quite fun to watch my parents watch this one. <laughs> um, but here's the basic deal. We've got a bunch of characters here. We may not, may not be able to see them. We'll see. They are dwarfs. They are going on a quest. They are trying to take back their homeland, which is represented as a mountain, a lonely mountain. And they've had a terrible time of it. They've been, they've been uh, grabbed by these evil creatures, these goblins. They've had to fight their way. They've had, had uh, I think, spiders have got hold of them. They've had to fight off elves. I mean, it's been fairly chaotic. It's like commuting into London on a Monday. You know, it's, 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 a, bad, it's a bad time. And, and they, they don't have weapons. They are, you know, they are stuck. All they've done is they've managed to grab this random Welshman who appears um, in the story, and he's going to take them across a river, but they've got to pay him. And uh, you know, everyone's got to cough up some money. So they don't trust him, they don't know what's going on. So that's the situation, and this is what happens next. There's a particular character, his name is Gloin, right? So the situation, Gloin, funny you should have a Scottish accent, isn't it? Scottish accent and a bit tight. We're not into any kind of prejudice here. But there you go. Right. So, I've been bled, bled dry. I'm not going to pay any more. That's it. I'm sitting there. And suddenly everyone starts turning around and looking around. And what do they see? Very faintly, they see the mountain. They see the mountain. And it changes from his situation to what he's being called to. And for them, it's home. And I think that's part of our thing, is that sense of being called home. And what happens instantly, within 30 seconds, he changes from not giving to have it all. Have it all, right? Bless my beard. Have it all. And he turns, he gives the money on, they continue. It changes. He has revelation. Yeah? He has revelation, something changes. When revelation comes, ah! That's the problem I've had in trying to get stuff together today, is how do you describe revelation? You can't. Is it understanding? Yes. Is it a feeling? Yes. But what is sure is once you've had it, it changes you. Something is not the same again. We've got another little clip. Another little clip of Marissa. That I took when she, against GDPR, so all of you want to be, you know, suing me. She didn't know I was recording her at this point. Let's see if we can get this one. Well, a thought came to my mind, or somebody spoke to me. Mm -hmm. So the revelation came. And that is a relief mm -hmm. that it makes you. Yeah, and of course, it could be, you could jump for joy, you could be relieved, or whatever. Revelation comes and it changes, yeah? Ah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Let's face it, they understood me better than they did you, you see. 
Wow. Right, okay. I was, uh, I was giving someone a lift. Um, I'd been at Castle Point, they'd been at another meeting, and we were just coming back to Good Maze, and I gave them a list, and she said to me, I said, oh, how's things going? She goes, ah, you know what? God is good. I, I can't tell you what it is, but God is good. And she said, I know, I know I should be able to say more, but God is good. And the thing is, I can't convey to you what was being conveyed to me because I was not, it was not a first-hand, I can't give you a, a, a first-hand experience, but she, was have, she had a revelation. God is good. She understood it in a new and different way. It was miraculous. It was, it was not to do with the brain. It was a fact of that revelation had come. God is good and it changed things. Right, so let me give you a couple of examples. I kind of fished around a little bit and I'm sure there's other examples that we could take today. Um, from you, you guys, but I thought I'd tell you a couple of my uh, examples. So I remember when I was uh, 13, and we used to do, back then, young people, they, we made some use out of them. You know, today they just kind of play on their phones and things and generally crew up debt and stuff like that. We used to do these summer evangelism teams. And I remember we went to Romford, um, and um, leaders, very wise, our leaders, they decided before they let us out on the street, they best teach us a little bit about the gospel. Interesting concept. So uh, we were in someone's front room, and we did a little bit of morning of teaching, and um, a chap called Alan Woodruff uh, was opening up the Bible, and he was teaching on Romans. Um, and I'd never really looked at that before, or not knowingly. And, uh, and it just... It just made sense. And I thought I'd bring you the Bible. I've got the time. Look, I don't know if you can see that. But I just kind of started going over it and over it and over it and over it. I'll show you other parts of the Bible. Not got any writing on to Songs are songs particularly. But, but it just, I highlighted, I made notes. I did Because it just turned on. It just made sense. And it's got, it's got simple bits in it. That, and I'm just trying to think, how could I summarise it? And that's the problem. I can't summarise it for you because it was revelation. But I think, um, oh, I lost my glasses, here we go. I mean, if we look at um, Romans 8, maybe, the first verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah? That's a, that's a big thought right there. And the whole part of Romans from 4 through to 8 is just rich, 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 rich. And it really, and you know what? I, didn't, I just thought I'd got understanding until I came across other people older, maturer than me that didn't get it that didn't understand grace. Or they understood it, but it didn't have any effect on them. And sometimes revelation has got to come. So that was one of my first experiences of revelation. So that changed understanding, I would say. But it was beyond understanding. And I think, I think when revelation comes, there can be a number of different ways it affects us. I think it can free us. It can bring us understanding. It can give us direction. It can bring healing. And it can bring us belief. Yeah? So then, another occasion, I don't know how, uh, how you are in, in terms of when, when the Spirit's moving and when people are being prayed for. You know, some people, some people, they're like lightning conductors. As soon as God's doing something, they're laughing, they're crying, they're shaking, they're falling down, they're doing what me, no, none of that. None of that at all. Um, so I can remember on one hand, a number of times I felt uh, that I've really been laid out in the Spirit where God's kind of... And even then I thought I'd fallen down. Uh, it was only when I tried to get up that I realised, oh, I couldn't get up, that God was doing something. And one of the occasions, I was 19, we were a bunch of us, um, I was in America, 
and there was a bunch who gathered every two weeks to sit in an upper room. Because in this part of America, nobody head upstairs, so to have an upstairs was a bit odd. We sat, and someone would just, one of the parents, it was like a youth group, one of the parents would play music, and we would sit for two hours and just listen. Just listen, see what God had to say. And we saw some amazing things there. But I remember one time, I just got this whole sense, just this, this vision of, a, of the burning bush, and a, and a sense that I wanted, I wanted God to take hold of me and I wanted to be fuel for his fire. And I just had this picture of a lump of coal. The thing about a lump of coal is it's fairly anonymous. It's, you know, there's nothing special to it, but it, it's what it does. It's what is done through it, being burnt up. And I made this commitment saying, God, I, I just want to be fuel for your fire. And, uh, and the guy leading the meeting said, I want to lay hands on you. And, and it was weird. He said, I want you to, God to touch you and then touch us. So it was a kind of lightning conductor type thing. And uh, I got laid out. And I remember there was something very dynamic that changed. And it really changed my direction of how I was thinking. It changed how I thought. And it was a revelation. That whole thing, it always is in my mind. God, let me be. I, I could do all kinds of things, but I want to be fuel for your fire. I don't want to be distracted from that. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to be fuel for your fire. If that means be anonymous, that's fine. If that means I'm just burnt up, that's fine. That's what I want. So that was a particular thing of direction that changed things. And I think we see that in different things. We see that revelation comes and it changes the direction of people's lives. Our songs are littered, absolutely littered with revelation. Um, when Nick brings some of, his, some of his things, or Jacob or others, some of the spoken word, the way that they play words together is very powerful. And I believe often a song is written out of a revelation. Even today, some of the stuff we were singing, sometimes even like Amazing Grace, it throws sentences around the funny way round because it's trying to make us see things, get hold of things, grab hold of things in a different way. Um, there is... Uh, let me see if I can find it. Who has... Who here went uh, on clear sound when we had the clear sound thing, right? So that was about ooh, six years ago. So I'm betting the rest of you were not around then. That's good, because I'm going to play you something I did six years ago and you can't complain. Right. I was looking at one of the, uh, one of the songs, one of the spoken word pieces, and for the first time ever, I kind of found myself dropping down and looking at the comments afterwards. And I, I couldn't project, couldn't get it a small, uh, small enough or fit it in to project it. So I have to read it to you. And the interesting thing is often it's people who obviously have English as a second language who are writing. And under the, the forever song that we sing, and I'll show you a bit, it said this, I just turned into a Christian for a few weeks. It sounds like it's a kind of temporary measure, but... I just turned to the Christian for a few weeks. It's unbelievable. Before, came, before I came here, I'm a Buddhist. One day I found that something bring me here, and that's the beginning. I started to learn more about Christ. The more I've learnt about Jesus, the more I fall in love. My heart is very happy. I pray for the other people. Thank you, God, you bring me here, and everything is better than before. Isn't that great? I think when he talks about bringing here, it means that YouTube channel. They saw something on YouTube in it. And then we've got other people. I need Jesus in my life. Please pray for me. Dealing with addiction, please pray for me. 
I'm an ex-Muslim from a sunny background, sunny radical background. Praise Jesus because he revealed himself in a dream to me and he saved me. Now I'm a Bible school student. I'm reading, um, if you're reading this, I have to tell you, Jesus is the way my friend received him because you, uh, we never know what's going to happen. So lots of different things. Isn't it interesting that revelation can come from watching a video? Um, and things can change. Just dynamic change. Because it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> the thing about revelation, the thing about some of those things that affected me is it wasn't, um, it wasn't a huge amount, you know, like a GCSE period of time of learning. It was a small thing. It wasn't like doing a doctorate and then suddenly you came into understanding. It's this small thing that God decides is going to do something. Often we've used that term, but God. You know, this is the situation, but God. This is my understanding, but God. That need to touch, uh, to touch God and be touched by God. And that's partly one, one, what I want us to get to today is that expectation and hunger for revelation from God. See, <clears throat> um, I, can do, uh, I could do wonderful teaching. Really, I could. <laughs> we could have all kinds of things. We could have great notes. We could have great exercise. We could do all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's nothing compared with revelation. I'm reading a story about a, a, a pastor called Pastor Surprise. He pops out of cakes. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, T heard a story about him. She bought me the book. It was very nice. And uh, he, he, was, he was a child of witch doctors. And one night, he was in the back end of Mozambique. One night, he heard a voice say, get out of the hut now, leave, or you will die. And he believes that was God. And he took him out. And, and essentially, through dreams and through other things, spoke miraculously into this, this guy's life. Um, and you're, you're reading the book, and he says, oh, and then I got a Bible. He starts about, I think I've worked out, about 10 churches he's managed to start and, and evangelize people without even a Bible. And then you get the next chapter, says, and when I was reading my Bible, I realized that some of the stories I've been telling were not in the Bible. So, <laughs> so God can use anything. You see, it's not about the information. It's about God empowering and changing and moving things on, and that's what I want for us. And I think um, I wanted to, to have a time to respond for God to minister to us. And I, there's different areas that I believe we can see revelation come. Have a look at, uh, let's have a look at the forever uh, spoken word bit. If there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached a point where it can form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of His love. And my voice, you see my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, that it's hard to even send the praise up. You see, if there are words for Him, then I don't have them. My God, His grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable, strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable yet knowable, indefinable yet approachable, indescribable yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, 
constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my words are few. And to try and capture the one true God using my vocabulary would never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a savior, a savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise. So I use words. My heart extols the Lord, blesses his name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound them both together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do. For words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son Jesus Christ as the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. For he is before all things, and over all things he reigns. Holy is his name, so praise him for his life. The way he persevered in strife, the humble son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. Praise him for his death. That he willingly stood in our place, that he lovingly endured the grave, that he battled our enemy and on the third day rose in victory. is everything that was promised. Praise him as a risen king. Lift your voice and sing. For one day he will return for us and we will finally be united with our Savior for eternity. Eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. If there are words, I do not have them. Hmm? If there are words, I do not have them. So it's not just words that I proclaim, for my words point to the word, and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. So remember, people saw that, and they said, I've turned to a Christian. Because, and... I try to work a way where I can have the words up at the same time you can see the person. But you know what? You have to see the guy. Because the guy is carrying something. And I know he can't hear it. We can make the words available. And I've seen other people do it. But revelation makes a, diff- makes a real difference. Let's, just, let's look at one other thing. I want to show you something else. Sometimes when you're bringing something, God drops something into you while you're bringing it. It's very inconvenient. Okay, and I want to show you this guy who's a very superb performer uh, doing that. Let's look at... Um, Okay, this song, I think Mark might have done some stuff on this at some point. This guy. Um, Alright guys, so let's, let's settle down some. We'll have a little look at this. We need you to sing this song with this. Listen up, listen up. Out of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. 
It's a youth conference, it took me a while to work out there, and all these kids are all kind of shuffling around, that kind of thing. And as the, as the song goes on, you see people kind of start to zone into it, which is interesting. And uh, you know this song, very powerful song, has got lots of truth, lots of poetry, lots of stuff coming into that. And, and it's all set up, I watched it with Heather one time, and she said, this is, this is set up very slick. It's very slick. And then some things start going astray. Um, and let's see, let's see what has happened now. Okay, right. It's supposed to be singing at that point. But that line, is it, if the mountains bow before, can we go back a little bit, Hannah? Let's have a look. I'm always fascinated why it's that line and not another one. <laughs> Because all of it is very powerful. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. I think it just dropped into his head. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. He can't complete the line. Some of you will remember, when was it, 10 years ago, when we'd done uh, Double Cross, and we decided to have a, we did a couple of songs here, and the guy who was playing one of the characters, a guy called Tambi, he came and he was singing, and he and Mark were doing this song together, and we... Tambi just lost it in the... I mean, he didn't lose it on, on stage the night before. Mark did, every night. Because Mark was having revelation. Every time Mark came to play that bit on the cross, Chris Page <laughs> would say to him, are you going to cry like a baby tonight? And he'd say, no, no, no. And every time Mark got on stage and was on the cross, he was having some kind of vision and stuff going on. So we were ready for Mark not being able to complete the song on a Sunday morning, but Tambi just understood it for the first time. But, but he couldn't complete the song because Revelation came for the first time. Yeah? Let's go forward to the next bit. So it all carries on. It's all right, fine. And as you can see, I've got the times up there. Six, five, five. Oh, a magical He's really fed up. He's really fed up with himself there. I don't know. When Revelation comes, wow. Daniel chapter 11. So there's interesting things uh, in Daniel. There's, it's, there's all kinds of prophetic stuff happening back and forth, back and forth, and, and the children of Israel are under pressure. And they keep on getting, there's this kind of battle between the armies of the north and the armies of the south. And every time one of them comes through, it gives them a smack on the way through. And then it comes back and gives them a smack on the way back. And that kind of thing is kind of part of the message. And uh, historians have gone through and kind of worked out all what it's talking about. Um, 
But it's interesting, right in the middle of this, in verse 32, it says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. It doesn't say, when you're rested, when you've been you know, to a Bible week for a week, um, you'll do great exploits. In the middle of getting a good thumping, you'll be strong and you'll do exploits. But why? Why? Because they know their God. They see their God. To stretch my point, they have revelation of their God. Yeah? And the importance of knowing God and doing great exploits in that sense. It's not an easy time. It's interesting, I was listening to something recently, I heard Mike Pilavacci say, my longing to see God move is greater than my fear of failure. I'd like to get more and more to that point, that my longing to see him move, which means you pray for people and sometimes they get healed and sometimes they don't. In fact, he goes on to say, it's funny, you know, we, we often pray for people, we should pray for people in church, that's right, but we pray for them so that we're ready to do it out. Because most of the healings, most of the things you see in the New Testament don't happen in, they happen out in the marketplace. We need to know our God and know what we can do in that sense. We need to have revelation. So Yahweh, it's another quote, Yahweh wants living and breathing people who put his name on display to show the world what he's like. Not what we say, but how we live. That's where we want to come to. We want to be different. We don't want to be conformed to the ways of this world, but we instead want to have revelation that sets us ready to go and do other things. I want us to have some time now of coming before God because it would be all very good for me to tell stories and show you video clips and talk about revelation, but there, is, there ain't anything I can do to put revelation in you. It's only God. So I want us to come now to have a time where we're saying, God, will you give me revelation? And I think there are three areas you may find more. I think there's a knowing God's will, revelation. It's letting revelation wash over us so that we can see things the way he sees them, like a general kind of... I think there is revelation, like Gloin, of seeing the mountain, seeing the destination. God, let me see your mountain. Let me know what I'm going to so it might power me through to, to pay the cost and to do the things. And the third area may be that there's a particular area in life, some particular thing that you can't see a way through on, and you need God's understanding, his revelation to drop into you. It may be to do with a situation in our family or some recurrent problem at work, and we just need that revelation to come, that God knowing, that God understanding to come. Yeah? At the start, I started with this, not that I've already obtained but I press on towards the goal. That's where I'm at. I'm not saying I've got all this down, but I'm hungry for it, yeah? I'm hungry to see God open up his understanding. I want to, when it wash over me, I want to see the mountain, and I want to see breakthrough in particular things. So I'll have all three of those.